I am Marlon Jones, the Career Skills Architect, and this is View from the Big Chair Podcast, Examining the Cost to Be the Boss. The purpose of this podcast is to share information with students in sports administration programs and with young professionals and those who are underemployed in sports administration. We talk with guests who sit in the big chair, those persons who are directors of athletics, who are head coaches, commissioners, or directors of different areas within athletic administration. We learn from their journey, and we also learn what skill sets they look for when they are hiring for positions so that you know how to prepare so that you can get to your own big chair. Today, our guest is Kevin Wilson. He is now a vice president overseeing three areas at Lincoln University in Missouri. And I take special pride in presenting Kevin to you because he was one of my graduate students. Yes, I was. Yes, I was. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. (laughs) Would you share with our listeners who are young professionals in sports administration trying to build and design their career a little bit about your sports administration journey? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, my, my journey was uh, definitely one uh, of care and, 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 and circumstance. Um, you know, I, I started out, um, I, I, was a, I was a student athlete at Duke University, uh, went on full scholarship, uh, playing football, um, and thought I was going to be the next, uh, you know, Jerosa House. Uh, and, and so went to uh, work for a law firm in Boston for two years, uh, and then came back, was fortunate to get to North Carolina Central University for law school. Uh, didn't work out my first year, um, and so actually left. Uh, was very fortunate enough to meet my wife there, though, um, and so we both left after our first year. Uh, and I, uh, you know, didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and so, um, you know, my Tony Bennett, who was my academic coordinator at Duke, had transitioned to North Carolina Central, and told me, "Hey, you know, you might want to try, you know, academics and be an athletic side." So I said, "Okay, cool. You know, anything to do to make some money, and you know, I, you know, I, I'll see how it goes." And, Never really thought about a career in athletic administration, but knew I loved being around athletics and sports. And so you know, did the, the tutoring deal. Um, it went well. Um, and then actually took the GRE that very same summer when I was transitioning from law school and kind of what my next move was going to be. Um, was very fortunate. Dr. Politano was very, um, uh, uh, helped very much in that process. Uh, got me admitted. Uh, started my journey in athletic administration. Uh, you know, and uh, kind of didn't know which, what I was going to be attached to, what I was going to be doing, how I was going to be helping. Um, but, you know, with folks like A.T. Thomas, uh, Dr. Edward McCree there at the time, <clears throat> they really helped kind of guide me. And uh, was didn't have a graduate assistantship, was just in school. And um, and so when I sat down and talked to, uh, to A.T. and Ingrid, um, they both told me, hey, you know, there's a young, talented uh, men's basketball coach um, that wanted to um, assist, that needed some administrative help. And um, you got to understand that, the, you know, between the summertime and you know basketball season, I had been trying to get uh, to be the ops guy uh, for football. And uh, I was trying to try. Um, I was trying to sit down with the head coach at the time. Um, and he just didn't know who I was. Uh, didn't know me. And, and in this business, when people don't know you, they don't trust you. 
And so, um, so he didn't give me a shot. Uh, just say, just don't let me know straight up. Man, I don't know you. Uh, you know, I don't know who you are. You know, so I really don't want to give you a chance. Um, so, you know, good luck. You know, I'm sure you're a good guy, but I just can't give you a chance here. So, um, kind of went back to ATM, went back to Avery, and they said, you know, there's a young, there's a young, talented basketball coach that could use your organization to help um, off the court. So, um, and so they kind of introduced me to Lavelle and uh, sat outside Lavelle's office. I want to say um, about a, a smooth three or four hours because uh, at the time he was busy. He didn't have the staff that he had now. He was you know, wearing a lot of hats and trying to recruit a basketball team. And so, you know, you know, I, I never forget it. You know, after about three, three, about two, three hours waiting outside his office, he pulled me in. It was me, him, uh, Coach Brickley at the time, who was one of his assistants, and Coach uh, Coach Martin, uh, who was his assistant at the, as, as well. Uh, you know, Coach Martin won a national championship at NC State, and Brickley, you know, being the guy that he was at Duke, um, sat me down and said, "All right, well, you know, here's our issues. You know, how would you help?" And um, you know, luckily, I came up with a plan academically the way we can monitor some things and, and Lavelle saw fit to give me my first shot um, in athletics. And so, uh, so I started out as a basketball ops person. Um, and I did that for a year. Um, it was miserable um, in terms of with just the, the moving around. Um, I, I will, you know, I will never envy basketball teams just because of the, the amount of time they, they, they spent on the road. Um, and especially being HBCUs, you know, really happen to play games where you, you know, in the month of December, you're gone. And so that was really taxing on, on myself and my wife and I, uh, we, we were dating at the time. And so um, I, I really kind of, once we got back from that road trip off of um, in December, I, I kind of had my mind made up. I needed to get out of basketball. And so, um, and so I was really fortunate. Met a young energetic guy named Willie Jude, who had just came to North Carolina Central uh, from Washington State. And, um, and so Willie, you know, he and I worked together on a number of projects because at the time during our transition to Division One, men's basketball was, you know, uh, pretty, you know, pretty desirable in terms of having our student athletes in certain places and having Lavelle in certain places. And so um, I really got to work with him from a development standpoint uh, uh, pretty, pretty consistently. And he said that he was getting an opportunity to, uh, to transition to get a, uh, an assistant. And I said, yeah, that's cool. And so. Um, and so, you know, uh, you know, Lavelle was really supportive about it, despite it kind of being an internal transition. Um, and, and so I transitioned in development. And right away, uh, between Willie and Ingrid, they poured into me right um, as soon as I got there, sent me to a, um, uh, a conference in Providence, Rhode Island, um, to, to learn, you know, about the basis about uh, development. And so from there, um, you know, was at North Carolina Central. They had the opportunity to run my own shop in Fayetteville State, which is Division Two in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Uh, in, in CIAA, and then when and then when Willie left to come to Lincoln um, uh, in a philanthropic in a, in, a, in a leadership role here with Dr. Rome, um, Avery asked me to come back. He did another two years there, um, uh, leading the development shop in North Carolina Central. Um, uh, I had the opportunity uh, to go to an all eleven uh, football team uh, in, in the University of Central Florida. Um, at the time, you know, nobody really knew what it would evolve into, but I always knew um, between Danny and Mark Wright's vision in terms of what that place could be. Um, and so I, I went down there, I ran down there, and went down there fast enough to Orlando and spent a, <laughs> a wonderful three years uh, doing the great things that we accomplished from, uh, you know, being, you know, one of four programs to have all, um, you know, all your teams in the postseason to undefeated, two undefeated football seasons. Uh, everything that we did to kind of help uh, move the narrative in the right direction as it relates to 
um, uh, to Power Six uh, football team. And so um, from there, you know, was thought I was, you know, I thought I kind of exhausted my opportunities there um, after um, my my third year there and had an opportunity to go um, to work for Pat Shun in, um, at, at Washington State. Uh, running, uh, not running, but but in, in the development shop um, for the Cougar Athletic Fund, and um, there was a, a talented group of fundraisers there that really kind of um, did it, you know, the, the way you know, mixing art and science, and so um, made the trek all the way across country to Pullman, um, and also you know Brian Blair, who's a mentor of mine, was out there as a deputy, and so um, had some great support out there, but um, you know, did wasn't really a good fit um, uh, after a little bit, and so. Tried to get, decided to get back to Florida, uh, spent some time at uh, Florida AM, the university, um, kind of helping lead that external uh, push under the guidance of uh, Courtney Gauche, who's doing a tremendous job there. Um, and then uh, when I got the call um, to be, to sit in the chair here um, from a man who I respect um, and have and worked with when I was in, in basketball in North Carolina Central, uh, Dr. John Mosley, um, there's nothing but yes that I said. And so, um, so now I'm here at Lincoln. I'm overseeing uh, development, um, athletics, and uh, campus recreation. Now, Federal State was your first <laughs> time as the directing that department. Most of our students think they're going to come right out of college and be a director right away. How many years was it before you were leading your own shop at Federal State? So, so I mean, it was it was a short time, relatively speaking. Um, uh, I, I was, I, I was in the game probably about two years. Um, but, but the scale, uh, was not the same scale as it would be to run, you know, say a million to a million dollar annual fund, uh, or, or, or 67 person shop that you would find in the FCS. Um, and it definitely was not the scale that you would find at the BCS where those, uh, those development arms in themselves are, entire uh organizations and so um it, it was it was unique just to get opportunity i think dr Edward mcclain uh every day uh, for seeing something to me that i didn't see it myself um had a wonderful um experience there um and they, and they are they are truly um, um anthony is the baby now he's doing great things there um they just they've been doing great things from a football standpoint uh and track as well just recently adding that and so um, they got great leadership uh, and a new chancellor. So um, it, it was it was it was two years, but um, but I definitely would say that on average, when you're talking about um, the scale of the BCS, you're talking at least ten to fifteen years needed to to be able to have the knowledge to to effectively run those units. And now, how many years total before you got this chance at Lincoln? <clears throat> ten years. We'll say years. Ten um, years, people. It, it's not it's just it. add water. It's, it's, it's not a microwave career. Right. Say you. Now, you mentioned North Carolina, Florida twice, the state of Washington, and now Missouri. How important is it for young administrators to be flexible in terms of location as they're building their careers? Uh, so first and foremost, I want to acknowledge my wife. Um, she is a grinding professional working towards, excuse me, tenure every day. Um, and she has a career of her own and she takes care of our two growing energetic boys. Um, and despite all that, um, whenever she knows the opportunity is right for me personally, she picks up 
um, and, and has literally shifted her entire career um, just to make it easy for me to do the things that were necessary to get to this spot today. Um, you know, I, again, I can't thank her enough for the sacrifice that she's made. And I think that's a monumental importance when you have a spouse in this business. Um, I have a colleague, uh, Matt Hummel, who's um, um, affiliated with Cincinnati and does a lot of research on, um, uh, on burnout here in our, in, in our industry. And the moving and the and the, um, the necessary nature of having to move um, in order to to move up in this business is something that I wish that we would fix, but it's just a necessary evil um, in our business. Um, and so um, I just encourage people to first and foremost have a spouse um, or a significant other that understands and that can, can support you in that. Um, I don't see it. an ambitious administrator is no different than the coach, um, in my opinion, uh, in, in that you really have to be willing to pick up and move. Um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm more cognizant of it now that my son, even though he's homeschooled, um, and my wife's doing a wonderful job with that as well, even though he's homeschooled, um, to, 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 to try and settle down and say, hey, you know, let's just put roots down so that they can, you know, uh, you know associate themselves with one place. Um, you know, I got my one-year-old and literally before he turned one, he was in three different states. And so um, sometimes we laugh, but at the same time, it's not necessarily something I'm really proud of. Um, but um, but again, you know, as it relates to the workplace, once you get past your spouse actually being on board with you, um, it's, it's important to embrace new opportunities. Um, I was talking to our head football coach um, that, that, we just, that I just hired, and it's funny when you're coming up through these um, – uh, these, these leadership institutes and um, these cohorts and, and, and you all are ambitious and everybody's like, yeah, I'm going to get to the chair. Um, and then, you know, the other was like, hey, man, when you, when you get on, give me a call, right? Like, like give me a call and come hire me one day. And then when the day actually comes and you're not at Ohio State, you're not at, um, you're not in Hotland, you're not in, um, in L.A. or Miami. And then when you pick up the call and they're like, well, I don't know, is money right? Is this right? And, and like the same people like, you know, pick up the call. They, they're not open to coming where you are. And so, um, and so, you know, I, I would, I would just encourage everybody to be open-minded, make sure that, you know, the right culture's in place because it matters about the people around you and, um, and, and, and you'll be fine in my, in my opinion. Now, both federal state and Lincoln <clears throat> university are division two schools. Yep. And most students just look at that Division One track. Describe for our listeners the opportunities that are available for young professionals at Division Two schools. Absolutely, there are wealth opportunities. Um, you know, in the MIAA in particular, um, over the past twenty years, um, there's been a national champion to come out of this conference in some sport. Um, and the SEC can't even say that um, at the level that they at which they compete. I think oftentimes people fall in love with the glitz and the dollars that are being invested and the visibility, quite frankly, um, that, that, that they garner. That's what was attractive to me uh, when, I was a, when I was a student athlete. Um, but if you truly want to just compete, um, you want to have a great experience, um, expose yourself to um, a diverse group of individuals and really, you know, and, and really get to understand why you're doing what you're doing to begin with, Division Two is a great place. Um, I definitely think it's a, a division where if if your administration and your university puts in the resources, you will stay at the top and you will be competitive. Um, but at the same time, if they do not, that's where you remain. So 
Um, that's one of the things we're trying to fire here in Lincoln and, and try to show in Lincoln. Um, he, you know, if if you invest, um, you know, great things like will happen. And so, um, I definitely encourage folks um, that student athletes uh, who want to compete at a high level because make no mistake, there are high level student athletes that are getting drafted here and and, and having long careers long after they're they're, they're done um, and doing things professionally um, and doing it in an affordable way. You know, coming into Division Two, um, so you know, I, I see Division Two high praises. There are tons of colleagues that I knew made the transition. Uh, from you know BCS institutions division two, and they had great longevity. Um, they had work life balance, um, and they were still able to, to have um, you know high level competition and help to really build a brand uh, versus being a part of a brand that somebody else has already built. Now tell our listeners what the MIAA is. So it's the it's the MIAA is the Mid Eastern uh, Mid Mid. Mid-Eastern Inter- Intercollegiate Athletic Association. Sorry, I, I, I get tongue-tied. I'm still trying to learn. Okay. Uh, but but we have a great um, uh, great conference. Um, we, we've got individuals. Uh, we've got the fourth, like, three-time defending football national champion here. We've got the current uh, defending uh, men's basketball champion in Northwest. Um, to me, uh, they are the standard here in our conference. Uh, we're trying to meet the standard um, and, and one day beat it. And so um, the, most of the schools and uh, most of the institutions um, are uh, ranged from Oklahoma, Kansas, uh, and, and Missouri uh, as well. Um, and so um, we, we, uh, we take great pride uh, in who we are as an institution. And uh, we're actually having meetings, um, mid-year meetings in, uh, on, on Monday and Tuesday. And, and one of the great things about the MIAA um, is that, um, you know, it, you, you'll be able to find the quality in terms of your referees, your venues, um, and your, your um, and all the other amenities that you will find in any other conference. And so, um, you know, just decided to be here and look forward to being a contributing member uh, for years to come. Now, you're active in a lot of professional <clears throat> associations. How has that participation helped you advance in your career? It's helped me tremendously. Every uh, nobody does it by themselves. I don't care. Um, if you're a coach, um, if you're a janitor, whomever, you got a community around you that's doing things uh, uh, for you, uh, whether you see it or not. And so, um, you know, great uh, cohorts uh, such as um, the NCAA Leadership Institute. That's that's my that's that's my group. Um, you know, the Amazing Race Class 2011. Um, and my class has gone on to do amazing things. Um, I've become uh, vice president, ADs. Um, and they're they're leading um, athletic departments across the country. Um, And so I lean, I rely on that group every day. Um, It it doesn't matter if, um, you know, I may not have uh, encountered something, they may have encountered it. So I take great pride in that. I can just pick up the phone and ask them kind of how they navigate it and what they think I can do here. Yeah, so NAD um, is the National Association of Athletic Development Directors. And so that was the first organization um, that, that I became a part of when I got into athletics. Um, I met Chris McFarland, who's now at uh, University of Central Florida, um, Anthony. Um, and Anthony, I believe, is back at Dartmouth right now. He's at a, a Dartmouth. No, he's at Yale. I'm sorry. Um, Anthony's at Yale. And, um, and Jennifer, she's with uh, USA Basketball, um, Jennifer Williams. And so um, I met those three literally walking in the door, and I've, I've kept in touch with all of them. Um, ever since. And so, and that was a big, and that was a big part of that. I was a two-time 
that diverse recipient to where I was able to meet other ethnic minorities in the development space. Uh, one of them being Tim Duncan, who's the AD in New Orleans. Um, and I, I reached out to Tim all the time. Uh, and so uh, it was, it really just helped me create that community. Um, and now I'm on a, like a special task force to kind of help identify um, other opportunities. And I, I met, you know, a wealth of great friends like um, Alvin Franklin, who's in Mississippi State, uh, one of the few uh, African-American uh, development uh, folks in the SEC. So um, it's, it's, it's a great network for me. And I, I, I am definitely trying to carry on the torch um, of, of growing those, uh, those, those African-Americans in that space. So how important are those personal relationships for those aspiring to work in this business? They're extremely important uh, because, um, you know, a lot of people uh, from, from managing, just, just from managing the donors uh, to, to just kind of you know, doing the little things that you need to do from an administrative standpoint, when people are looking to hire folks, they, they really don't have time to just kind of go through the HR process. Oftentimes, those relationships are what will be the difference between you getting the job um, that you really want um, and, and, and getting the opportunity uh, that you feel like you deserve. And so um, I, I, I try to take great care of the relationships that I have, you know, despite having my family, and try to blend the two. Um, and I just encourage folks to do the same. Now, development, that's a skill that has to be developed for those who aspire to your seat. Explain to the listeners what development's impact is on the collegiate athletic budget. It's tremendous. Um, you know, it's all about relationships. And, and, and I know that every AD that I've ever had the pleasure of working with, um, there's a cap on the amount of tickets you can sell. Um, there's also a cap on the amount of inventory available for corporate partners. And there's a cap to the value that they will place on any asset that you do sell to them. Um, but what there is no cap on is somebody's philanthropic uh, wishes. Um, feel night, when you think about uh, certain athletic departments that are synonymous with, with, with certain donors, uh, you got Phil Knight uh, at Oregon, um, you got Boo Pickens at, at Oklahoma State. And those are just great individuals to where um, time and time again, they've answered the call. And so, um, you know, when you, when you talk about philanthropy, you talk about, you know, potentially a never ending opportunity to make an impact. And so um, it, when you talk about development and, and, the, and the, the impact it can have on your budget, um, it, you can't, you can't, there's no cap that you can put on it. So um, <clears throat> I just encourage folks to, to even if they're not in development, you know, to make sure, especially if you're trying to sit in the seat, make sure you're always participating in the process of building relationships and getting to know the folks. When you see a name on a building or if you hear a program, um, or if you if you're if your athletic director has, you know, their title carries a person's name, uh, you know, ask the questions, right? Curiosity is, is gonna definitely carry you through. And so ask the questions and um and see who those people are and try to establish a relationship with them. Because I will tell you, um, those are the folks that are making the decisions. And so, um, and, and those are the people who are saying, hey, you know, I see value in your academic coordinator. I see value in the compliance person. I see value in that person. What will it take to keep that person here? Um, and so that is what ADs, um, the folks who, vice presidents who are sitting in the chair um, are, are cognizant of. And, that, and that's what they're intentional about in, in everything that they do. 
Mental health has been in the news a lot lately. What is the athletic director's role regarding student athletes' mental health? Um, I think it's a, I think we as DPs uh, play a critical role. Um, we have to make sure, um, you know, I'm not a medical professional, um, but at the end of the day, we have to make sure um, that our student athletes, especially here lately and across the country, know that we have the resources available to them. Um, and, and we make sure that we're supportive and we create an environment where our student athletes feel like they can communicate if something's going on. And then we let them know every day that it's okay not to be okay. Um, and we understand that you're under a lot of pressure. Um, and, and to me, um, that you shouldn't be at pressure uh, when it comes to playing a sport that you love. And so um, we just, again, just continue to uh, make sure that we, you know, we discuss uh, pertinent um, topics. Um, I know I have, um, and I took this from Kevin Anderson uh, when he was at Maryland. Um, I had started conversations with Kev. And so it was literally an open dialogue with just me and my student athletes, all of them in the room. And we just sit down and just talk about things that I have heard, things that I may not be aware of that I need to address. Um, and, it, and it helps let them know that I'm human. And when they come talk to me, it's not like at the principal's office, it's more so like talking to you, big brother. And so, <clears throat> and so it's trying to help create that trust as well, and to uh, just establish a, uh, uh, an, uh, an environment where our student athletes feel heard and know that and it's okay, it's okay not to be okay. Now, one of the biggest hot topics right now in college sports is name, image, and likeness. What do aspiring athletic directors need to understand about this area because it is so new? Absolutely, they also need to understand that it's here and it's not going away. It's not going away. And then we need to embrace it. Um, I was very fortunate um, because Florida at the time was going to be the first state um, to pass the legislation. And so um, I kind of sat back and watched uh, VP Courtney O'Shea and FAMU kind of you know, discuss the topic, wrestle with um, other ABs um, you know, in, in the state of Florida about how they were going to handle it and how they were going to embrace it. And so took that, brought that here, and we're actually, um, we actually are the first MIAA school um, to partner with Open Doors, uh, which is a platform uh, throughout um, all the sports, uh, in, in addition to others, um, that will allow you to uh, to manage, to promote, monitor, um, and manage that entire NIL process. And so we actually had our onboarding meeting today. Um, we were very excited, um, and and so to to partner with them, we were the first again in the conference to do so. Um, and we um, and, and so we we're very excited to be able to, to afford that opportunity to all. Uh, Lincoln student athletes here, and which is unique to us. Um, outside of Jackson State, I don't think there are any other HBCUs that even partner um, with a um, NIL platform. Um, so we're ahead of the game in that regard. Um, and, and to take it a step further, it was important because our football team um, actually has a NIL deal um, team-wide and uh, with JP Capital Management to where they will be paid um, to uh, promote financial literacy team-wide. And so. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. It was a six figure. It was a six figure deal, and so we were adamant about like letting people know the value in that because a lot of people, you know, may be um, you know the the, the college hunks at, at Howard. They'll say, "Hey, it's a deal," but you don't know how much it really is. And so we wanted to make sure we were intentional about letting people know, "Hey, not only is this company investing in you um, as a blue tiger, they're investing six figures in you as a blue tiger." Um, in terms of football. And so uh, so we were very intentional about that piece. And so we're excited 
um, to, to get that and, and to get that on their belt and, and really be a model for how HBCUs and Division Twos can really take advantage of their brand here because, you know, to your point earlier, a lot of, a lot of young men and women want to be at the Division One because they believe that's where all the shine is. That's where all the glamour is. That's where all the glitz is. That's where they can accomplish their goals. But we're going to show everybody here that you can accomplish anything coming up with the university. Now, what is the one thing <clears throat> you wish you knew before you got to that seat? So it's, it's, it's funny. Um, I've been really fortunate to have athletic directors to where I can ask the tough questions. Every, and then when I was in high school, I always hung around the older guys. So it's like, when I, once I got there, I always was answering those questions. And so um, I want to say Ingrid kind of sh- like alluded to it, but I really wish I would have known that like dealing with coaches is just like dealing with your kids. Um, it, it really, and, and I'm not saying from an immaturity standpoint, I'm saying it from an equity standpoint, um, a spending time standpoint. Like if you, if you spend time with one and you have to spend time with all, um, the minute the, and, and, and I saw it at Washington State and I think Brian Blair was did a wonderful job with this. He was a sport administrator for football and he was a sport administrator for swimming. Now we both know that football is the, is a driver. But and swimming is, you know, in the Pac-12 is a big deal, right? You got Olympians and you got national champions coming out of the Pac-12 in that sport. But if you ask, you know, Mike Leach um, versus asking um, the other Leach, which ironically the other coach last name Leach for swimming, they would say that Brian gave them both the same amount of time. Like whenever it was Pac-12 championships for swimming, Brian was there the entire time, every day. And he just gave them the attention that they deserved. And so um, I took that with me here as it relates to managing our coaches because they can be like kids sometimes to where if you don't get one attention, like the other one's going to have a problem. Regardless of what they've accomplished, regardless of what their circumstances are, regardless of how much money they bring in or regardless of you know what they have already, right? They may be well-funded, well-resourced, uh, but they still want that time and attention. So I think that's that's the one thing I wish I had a great grasp on. I think being a dad kind of helped. Um, and being the oldest of four helped as well. So Now, I want the listeners to recall what you just said about asking questions. Because I can verify that as a student, you always asked good questions you would read the material and understand how to relate the theory to the practice. So I want to make sure you all got that. You've got to ask questions because nobody knows what you're not understanding. And people are busy and they just can't always stop and explain something because they understand it. They think you understand it. Like Kevin made reference to MIAA, and I had to remind him, all of our listeners don't know what that is. So make sure that you're asking good questions, and good mentors will find the time to answer them. Now, what has been your biggest challenge or mistake, and how did you overcome it? In the chair? In the chair. (laughs) 
Either chair, so, federal state chair so, or the Missouri <clears throat> chair. Yeah, so so for me, um, I, I would say in the chair, um, I've been real fortunate to where I have a really good president. Um, and so I, I think the mis- I haven't had a mistake here yet. I'm human, so it's, it's coming. I'm, I'm sure it's coming. Um, however, um, I would say the mistakes I made in my two previous stops um, was my inability to be communicative. Um, I am very much a give me my job to do and let me do it. Um, and a lot of fundraisers, even though we have to interact with our donors, we have a goal to hit. And so we really are able to kind of get our, our goal to hit and say, hey, here I did my goal. What's next? Right. We used to that move the finish line. Um, and, and I wasn't accustomed to in a, in a leadership leadership capacity at both Washington State and and, uh, and FAMU, I was not accustomed to checking in every five minutes on everything that I did. And, and to be quite honest with you, it was a bit annoying to me at first. Like I just, I, hey, like I'm, I'm a big boy. I know what I'm doing. So let me do it. I was I once I inform you, I'll inform you. But that that didn't work for either one of my leaders at either institution. That was not their style. They did not like it. Um and, and we and we that there was friction on both encounters. Um and, and so so for me, I learned that hey, like you gotta communicate because now I'm sitting in the chair and there are things that I don't know that had, you know, and unfortunately I have I have really good um I got really good administrators that that are that are good <laughs> good communicators, but had I not known, I've been blindsided, and that's that's not a good thing for any AD to be. And so I understand why that was a sticking point for the people that I worked for earlier. You know, in terms of just not always checking in or always checking up. So yeah. And listeners, I want you to think about what he just said. He said he had to adapt to his leaders. A lot of millennials think that they're going to go in a workplace and everybody there is going to adapt to them. And that's not how it works. You have to adapt to the style of the persons that you're working for. And that's one of the skills that you need to develop along the way in order for you to be able to have a shot to be in the big chair. Now, Kevin, I want to look at something here got young professionals and they're they're getting ready to progress through their careers. What sacrifices do you think they need to be aware of that are coming their way in order for them to be able to progress and have an opportunity to sit in that seat? Time. Um, it, it is the one thing that I'm very protective of. Um, I think, you know, one of my mentors, Eric Wood, like definitely kind of showed me, um, you know, how to do that. Um, like he's very regimented in his scheduling and I'm not so much, um, but just, just time, like you got to put in a lot of time. Even when I go home, I got to force myself to shut it off um, because I, I pride myself on being available. Um, but as my wife reminds me all the time, I have to pride myself on being available for my family too. And so I would stop on a heartbeat if I get a text, a funny message, it doesn't matter. I could be talking to Barack Obama 
or, or Joe Biden. It doesn't matter. I'm going to stop and say, my wife is texting me. I'm going to make sure she's good and go back because, you know, in my career, I wouldn't do that. But when I'm with them, if it's work, I'll tell you, know, I'll tell them, hey, stop. You know, I would stop watching the movie or I would ignore my son. I'm answer the email and, and feel good about myself, you know, knowing, you know, not knowing that, hey, regardless of whether you would have answered it in that moment or tomorrow morning, they'd have been fine. And so I, I constantly have to remind myself of that. Um, and the biggest sacrifice is time, in my opinion. This this job is demanding. Um, you know, we had a game last night and, you know, nobody, the game ended at 9.30. I'm pretty sure nobody got home until about 11. And only for them to be right back here at 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, ready to go. And so it, um, I, I'm, I'm very, you know, now that I have the, the, the power to do so, um, I'm very intentional about telling my, my staff to, Hey, it's a Friday. Like, you don't have no games. We got a game tomorrow. Just go home. Like work from home. If you, if you don't have to be here, do not be here just because I, I guarantee you by May, you don't want to see the inside of any athletic building. And I don't want that to be us. And so, um, and so I, I just, I just, I'm, I'm very big on balance, and, and I'll, I'll deal with the consequences um, if people feel like we're not here 24 seven. But I just, I just think with or, with or without us being here, this bill is still gonna be here at the end of the day. So it's time. Now, Kevin, what prompted you to pursue a doctoral degree? <laughs> My wife. <laughs> and how so? Yeah. <laughs> That that is the that is the absolute truth. Um, I my wife uh, was finishing her doctorate. She's probably gonna be, like kill me for like saying this whole story inaccurately, but she was she was completing her doctorate at the University of Tennessee, uh, go balls as she would say. Um, and so and she took a lot of pride. My wife is an educator. She she gets so excited about social work and just black social workers and, and getting more black social workers in space and just clinical practice and just everything about it. I've never seen somebody more passionate and she's got so much energy and she just saw the fact that, Hey, there are no African-American males in the classroom. Right. Like when you're looking at, like my, I was very fortunate to go to an HBCU for undergrad and I had like one or two black professors at Duke. Um, but if it wasn't an African-American studies class, well, of course, nine times out of 10, my professor was white. And so, and in the business at the time, I just got really frustrated with not seeing a lot of African-Americans leading development shops. If you look across the country, um, outside of Cincinnati um, and um, in, in uh, Davidson um, and a couple other places across the country, like in the Pac-12, I don't think they have a African-American fundraiser leading the development shop, meaning he is the deputy or the guy that is in charge. Um, they have one at UNLV. Um, they do not have any in SEC. Um, and, um, and and even though they have black AD, they have black athletic directors in, um, throughout the, in the SEC, but they have but you do not see any African Americans running development shops. This it is this is unheard of, um, and so that bothered me to my core. Um, you know, Joe Manhurst. Um, was very successful at Duke for years, but never got a chance to run his own development shop. He just now had an opportunity to to sit in the chair, well-deserved and well-overdue. Um, but when you, when you, again, when you look at the Big Ten, you look across the country, you don't see the African-Americans running development shops. Uh, and so that bothered me to my core. And so 
my wife saw that and said, that's a that's something you should research. And, and we, her nickname is Internet. Like, she hates when people call her that. But, like, literally, you ask her a question, she's going to find the answer. If she can't give it to you in that moment, she's going to find it. And that, that makes a great researcher. And so she looked up programs that would be flexible because she knew I was you know, moving at the time. And um, and so she found the University of Florida, had an online EDD program. Um, and she just said she thinks it'd be a great fit for me. Um, truth be told, I didn't think I was going to be able to get in just because of my GPA. I didn't think my GPA at Duke was high enough. Um, they were very selective. Um, and, and then it was all education. I wanted to do something in sports. And so she was like, the sports is, it resides in higher ed. So, um, so she made me apply. Um, I, I, I was able to get in. Um, and I promise you to this day, I'm about to defend in December. And I still, to this day, and I tell Dr. Eldridge, uh, who's on the program and my, my, my chair, my dissertation chair, Dr. Redding, I'm still in shock that I even got into the program to this day. And so, um, and, and so I feel grateful, thankful. I've learned a lot. Great cohort. I've got a, a group um, of great friends that, I, that I've learned from different backgrounds. It's, a, it's one of the great things about education, meeting people that you ordinarily would never have a conversation with or talk to or meet, and, and they become family. And so um, it, uh, it, it was, it's been a great experience for me. Um, it's something, I'm, a journey I'm looking forward to uh uh, to, 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 to bring it to an end uh, in uh, this, this uh, April. That's great. Now it's overtime. Okay. What book do you suggest expiring sports administrators read? So, um, you know, it's funny, like, it, it, I know I've been long with it all on podcasts. I'm sorry, but um, I would say um, Culture Code uh, by Daniel Corr. Okay. Um, at the end of the day, <clears throat> and again, that's culture code. I definitely want to give a shout out to Didi Barrett um, and NCAA Leadership Institute. Um, as an alum, they they sent us the books and reading for our continued education. And this is one of the books that they gave us. Um, and so um, I just want to, you know, it, it, for, it really matters about the, um, the culture that you establish. Um, you can have all the pretty buildings that you want. You have the best weather. You can have all the money in the world. Um, you have all the influence, but if you don't have the right culture, you're not going to be a, you're not going to be successful. Uh, and so, um, I, I, read, I would recommend you know, reading Culture Code um, because that's truly how uh, you define your success with the right culture. What's been your best day in the big chair? <laughs> um, my best day um, outside of my I'm not going to be selfish and say my press conference, uh, but my best day had to be when we announced the NIL deal. Uh, with JP Capital Management, um, to, 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 and it's funny, like a lot of people haven't really spoken about it, um, but I pride myself on uh, it being a, a first here at Lincoln. And I think, you know, just like most history, most people not really going to care about it until, you know, 50 years down the, down the line when the actual outcomes are felt and, and the results are seen. Um, but that's something I always take pride in, the fact that I was able to Secure the first NIL deal for a, a Division II uh, football team. And I think a football team, uh, HBC football team, period. So we're the only HBC football team in the country with an, uh, with an entire team wide NIL deal. And what's been the worst day in the chair? 
So it's not necessarily the worst day, um, but anytime I had to tell our student athletes that we cannot do something because it's cost prohibitive, mm. um, that 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 directly um, has an effect on their their experience here. I mean, those those are the worst days for me. Um, you know, I, I just I feel like once once a, a individual commits to wearing the navy and white, we make a commitment to them to make sure they have the best experience in the country. And when we can't say that they can do that, that hurts my heart. And so um, yeah, I've been working tirelessly with my team to make sure that we can we, we don't have to do that moving forward. So that's that's probably my worst bet. What is your go-to inspirational quote? Uh, it's, it's it's easy, and, and Willie shared this with me when I got to North Carolina Central. Nobody cares about how much you know until they know how much you care. Um, and I think that's that's something I live by every day. Um, yeah, I tell people all the time. Um, and so I, I try to make the folks around me know how much I care about them. I love them up, um, but I coach them hard uh, and, I, and I, I lead hard. And so, um, but they but they always know um, that I do care at the end of the day. So, um, yeah. And what is a motivational movie that you would suggest young professionals watch? So I'm a big movie guy and I'm a big Eddie Murphy fan. Um, my wife and I were actually talking this morning about who had more hits, uh, um, who was bigger, um, Richard Pryor or um, or Kevin Hart. Um, but I, I said, I mean, movie-wise, I said, Eddie Eddie got it hands down, like, in terms of specials and movies. But um, Trading Places um, is, is, is always been something, even on my worst day, um, I watch Trading Places um, because it teaches us that, um, one, you have to play the cards that you dealt in life, um, and two, um, your environment doesn't always determine your outcome in life. The people around you do. That is so um, true. So, and so true. Um, and so, so to me, that that always reminds me: just get the right folks around you, and it doesn't matter whatever the environment, you're gonna be just fine. Kevin, how can our listeners follow you? Are you on social media? I am. I am on social media. Um, I'm Mister Wilson 2011. <laughs> And I, I will tell the reason. It is so all the listeners out there. Um, the only reason I have a Twitter is because of our class uh, at North Carolina Central. One of our assignments when Twitter first started was to establish a Twitter handle, and so uh, Mama Jones told us that we needed to um, establish our handle, and that has been my handle ever since that class. So wow. thank you, Mama Jones, for establishing my Twitter handle. <laughs> I did not have one before that class. And so, you know, when you talk about theory of practice, like that's definitely, that's, that's definitely practice in motion. So, um, so yeah, Mr. 11, 20, Mr. Wilson, 2011 on both um, Instagram and, uh, and Twitter. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. We've shared a lot of interesting gems with our audience. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that the notes you took from our guests will help you as you plan and build your career. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. View from the big chair, examining the cost to be the boss. I'm your host, Marlon Jones, and I thank you again for listening.